Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 70. Today, I am spending time with the incredible Erin Lochner. Erin is an author. She had her own HDTV.com show, and this girl has been blogging for the last 13 years. She is an absolute inspiration when it comes to living authentically and defining what chasing slow can look like. And it might not be what you're thinking. Today, I'm just really excited to hang out with her. She's somebody I'd followed over the years and have watched her transition into motherhood, into becoming an author, and so many other endeavors that she's taken on. And this episode is just really going to inspire you to define what chasing slow can look like in your very own life. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work, and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer, educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. This episode of the Gold Digger Podcast is sponsored by HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software that I use to stay organized, manage invoices, get paid, and give every client an elevated, unforgettable experience. HoneyBook is offering 20% off exclusively for Gold Digger listeners. Just go to honeybook.com slash gold digger to get started and get your life back today. Hey, Gold Diggers, it's Jenna Kutcher, and today I am so blessed to get to hang out with a woman I so deeply admire. Erin Lochner is the author of Chasing Slow, which if you don't have this book, you need to go get it. I just told her it's a coffee table book in our household and just something that I refer back to often. She's also the founder of Design for Mankind. She has been blogging and speaking for more than a decade. I feel like I should probably ask for her autograph before we even start this, <laughs> and she has been featured in places like the New York Times, Lucky Parenting, Dwell, Marie Claire, El Decor, a million things. And this woman is just so exceptional. We are really, really blessed with her presence. So first off, welcome to the show, Erin. 
Oh my gosh, that was such a warm welcome. Jenna, your voice, I can't even get over it. It's so, it's so perfectly podcasty. I love it's it. It's so hilarious. I told Aaron that I was like, you know, I honestly didn't want to start a show because nobody likes the way their own voice sounds, but that was the first thing she said to me. So we it's know this so is going to be a good interview. <laughs> so Aaron, first off, let's just talk a little bit about where you are today, kind of what your path and journey looked like in getting there. I have been following you for quite some time. And it's just been so amazing to watch you just stay in your lane and kind of transition through the different seasons of life that you've been through. So walk us through what that's looked like for you. Oh, that is such a nice way to say that I have had quite a few transitions, I think, in my (laughs) blog. And it's so funny. Yeah, it feels very frenetic sometimes that maybe I perhaps don't know where I'm going or in terms of branding. I'm breaking all of the rules. But I think that's just kind of been the trajectory of my life. You know, life for me hasn't been very linear. It's definitely been cyclical. And I feel like I'm always relearning and relearning and relearning. So thank you for saying that. I am a bit of an old maid on the internet. I have been blogging for, let me do the math, 12 years, 12 plus, gosh, a little longer than that. Blogging professionally for 12 years and then blogging personally for 13, 17. So a long time. And I would say for me, starting a blog was really just kind of the natural progression of being just a diehard journaler, right? I started with Zanga back in the the old days and when it was still called an online journal. <laughs> and I was really at the time processing quite a lot. I had just married my boyfriend who had a brain tumor and we got married and moved to Los Angeles and it was a whirlwind in the rat race. And immediately, you know, I feel like for us, we both kind of from the get go had to learn how to balance the weight of life. You know what I mean? Like how to honor its weight, but still hold it really loosely. And, you know, as a 20 year old who had just been married, that was nearly impossible for me to learn, but I just felt like I was just constantly treading water and never really moving forward. Of course, I I didn't know that 90% of life is treading water, right? Like that, that's the beauty, the beauty is in the treading. You don't have to always be, be working towards something specific or moving toward an end goal. It's, It's just this crazy, beautiful journey and a lot of preserving energy for that. So anyway, yeah. So we lived in Los Angeles for a bit and I was an ad agency copywriter and turned art director. So my blog really started as kind of this house for online art and for design inspiration that I would have to share with clients going back and forth to the office. And eventually, you know, I, I feel like it's every every person that started a, blog, a professional blog in 2005, it's the same story where just, you know, you start connecting with the people you're featuring and then readers kind of flock to you. You get little boosts from the press because I think at that time, a lot of magazines were relying on blogs and vice versa. And so, yeah, my blog grew. My personal life kind of moved into weird territory. My husband, his health was stable, but his father was ill I write a lot about this in the book about my personal journey and how it's so funny how opposite it always is for my professional life. When I'm on top mm-hmm. professionally with an HGTV.com show and with multiple you know, brand offers, and that's when my personal life was the lowest, uh, just with so many family health issues swirling and with a lot of running away from that. You know, I feel like one thing that the internet is really good at is beckoning you, beckoning you toward something that 
isn't really real. And so, uh, it's a really great place to hide sometimes a great place to run sometimes. So, you know, I think it took being at the top professionally, so to speak, or being at where, you know, the world defines you as successful for me to realize if this is success, I, I don't want it. You know, I, I, for me, perhaps I can't be successful by the world standards and also be successful by my own. And so I'm going to just go ahead and choose my own version of that. So I think I've been redefining success ever since. And a huge pivot for me was the birth of my biological daughter who's now five. And so I think when you have children, you kind of get that laser like focus that says, this is pretty important and this is worth your energy and this is worth your time. And it's certainly a, a weighty responsibility. So I would say that kind of forced a lot of my work into perspective and taught me that, you know, I'm no longer going to play by the rules of the blogging world. And I'm just going to make up my own and make sure that fits into real life rather than me trying to fit my real life into, into the internet, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things you just said too, and I feel this is the exact same thing in my life is generally when my business is just killing it, it's when your personal life is something's going on. And I just had this tendency to bury myself in work because it gives you purpose and you can kind of forget about all the other stuff. But to the internet, it can look reversed almost, you know, they think like, ah, she's got it all. It's all perfect. And I just think that the honesty in sharing that, I think a lot of people can relate to that for sure. Yeah. I have definitely had that same experience. And it's so funny because I think, I think one of the dis-ease and discomforts involved in having your personal life kind of messy and in shambles and, and in transition and not sure where you're going is things just feel really muddy and they feel unclear and difficult to navigate. And so I think we're naturally drawn toward that place of progress and of measurement. And it's so easy to measure things on the internet, right? It's so easy to just bang out something productive and, you know, send it out into the masses and get instant feedback. And, and you're not getting that in your personal life because things are very up in the air and scary and out of your control. So I think it's really natural to gravitate toward, oh, perfect. This is a place where I have tidiness and control. And mm -hmm. I think we all seek that. I think too, so many of us, I know as a woman, like I love having control and I love feeling like I'm in charge and I know exactly how things are going to come out. And life just isn't like that. Like you said, it's not linear at all. And I know even when we went through our most recent miscarriage, everyone was like, you need to rest. And for me, it was the opposite. Like I needed to dive into something different because just sitting there was making me feel even more miserable because I'm like, I'm not being productive. I'm not getting anything done. And I'm I'm not in control of anything right now. And so just grasping for a little bit of control and pouring myself back into my work was actually a good thing for me. It was more healing than just sitting still for a while. I totally get that. Yeah. I think we all have those seasons where, you know, and, and it's funny, we automatically assume, oh, that means you're running away from something or mm -hmm. you aren't processing it or you're delaying your grief. And I think just really there are seasons where we just take hold of, you know, some available fruit and we go for it. And I think it's impossible to know which way is the right and for which person. And, you know, life is such a mystery. It really is truly an enigma. 
Absolutely. So something that I just love about you, and it took me years to figure out, and I don't know if the same is for you, is I wanted to break the mold. And I think that it's easy to say that, but it's really hard to live that way. And when I first started as a photographer, I was so worried about being called a fraud because I felt like a photographer. And so I wanted to blend in. I had this desire to blend in. But a few years into that, I'm like, this is not who I am. This is not serving my purpose or my calling. And that was when I really just started to go big or go home with the fact that I am different and I want to be different. What was that like for you? Because you have been doing this for a very long time and you've seen those seasons of change, even in the blog world and what that looks like. What has that journey been like for you? That's such a great question. I really think you reach a point in your life where you just think it is no longer sustainable for me to be in this box. Mm -hmm. So I have two options, right? I can either quit and try something else, or I can just try to make the box a different size for me. I can make it bigger. I can cut down a wall. I can, I can move it around. And so I think you just reached that point where there's really no other option. If it's stifling to you to be in that box, then you have to just open up a flap. You know what I mean? So for me, the blog world just started to look the same everywhere I was. And and it started to feel the same for me. And I started to really drag my heels and not feel like posting anymore. And at this time, it was maybe 2012 when it was, you know, Pinterest was massive and everyone was churning out content that hopefully it was tutorial based or perfect mm-hmm. images and everything was very glossy and very produced and very styled. And it felt inspirational at times. And at other times it felt like it was kind of sucking the inspiration out of you and just that it was lifeless and that it was staged and contrived. And I have certainly been on both sides of that, you know, as a consumer and as a creator. And so I I think it was very natural to fall into that trap of this is just the way it's done. And this is what, you know, this is what my readers want. So I'm going to do it. And I couldn't, I just couldn't. I think for me, it took spending, you know, long hours away from my baby. My husband and I have interesting schedules where we kind of work seasonally. So if there's a heavy work season for me, then he's on parenting duty. Although now it's pretty 50, 50 split, but we definitely ebb and flow there. And so while she was a baby, I had a very busy work season and I was just coming off the HGTV.com show. And so I was still very heavily involved in the production aspect of things. And so it really just took me coming home for the day and being completely depleted and not having the energy to spend time with this being that I created that I wanted so badly to invest in. And that was the choice. Okay, well, I need to change something here. And for me, that looked like, okay, how do I, well, the deeper story there is I was not the most, I I didn't feel like a natural mother, you know, it wasn't like, baby laid on my chest and everything clicked and I knew just what to do. I, she was very colicky. She cried a lot. So for me, again, it was very natural to run to work and to be productive and seek that measurement. And so I did pour myself into work, but then I realized, I think probably six months into that, this isn't going to get any easier. You know what I mean? I can either bite the bullet and start practicing, right? How, how do we get better at things we practice? And I had to practice motherhood. I had to practice being a mom and dealing with the screaming <laughs> and not run away into work. And even though perhaps that's where the success was, even though I was maybe more naturally inclined to be a better worker than a mother, that wasn't what I wanted for my future. I didn't want to 
you know, when it all came down to the end goal, I didn't want to say, you know, I was an excellent blogger and I was kind of there as a mom. That wasn't the choice that I wanted to make. So I think it's a valid choice either way. That's not a statement of society or working motherhood. It's just for me, I knew, I knew I wanted something different. So what happened then was I had to ask myself, okay, well, how can I make my work into something that will make me a better mother, right? How can, if, if I really hold the reins here, if I am my own boss, surely there's a way I can make this work. And so it was just a really natural progression of saying, you know what, I'm not going to post tutorials. I'm not going to do DIYs. I'm not going to do design projects all the time, but I am going to journal and I'm going to bring this back to the 2002 Zanga days. And I'm going to pour out my thoughts. I might not publish a lot of them, but I'm going to spend the time away from my daughter as a baby fruitfully. And I'm going to process and learn. And that was single-handedly the best thing that I could have done at the time. I learned best from writing. And so I just essentially turned my blog back into the journal that it started as. And I had to just choose to not care if readers wanted to know that or not. Right. I mean, I think everybody's mm -hmm. very concerned when they bring children into the world, but this isn't a mommy blog. And I had to just stop thinking that or saying that I just had to stop caring about the people reading altogether, which sounds very callous. But if this was truly to be sustainable, then I needed to make it work and make that time be of better service. If I was going to spend time away from my family, I needed it to mean something. So that was just a, a, a natural transition. And the beauty there, I'm not a stats person. I don't really follow the math or the the traffic. But I do know just in terms of reader engagement and the amount of comments that poured in, it was the right move, I think, for them too. I think, you know, if we're sensing something isn't working on our end, chances are your audience or your readers or your community is probably feeling the same energy. So it was a really beautiful, very blessed transition. And I think it's taken a few iterations since. Isn't that crazy? I think one of the things that I think is so important to remember is if people love you as a person, then they're going to love the season of life you're in. And I think a lot of times I just did an episode not long ago about why it's important to build a brand and not just a business, because so many times we change what we're doing and what we desire to do and what we love to do and what we're passionate about. And I feel like a lot of times we back ourselves into these corners and then we make excuses like my followers aren't going to know what's going on if I change this or, you know, we give our followers too much credit in the sense of like, why are we doing this in the first place, you know? Yeah. And then it just becomes, you know, I think when you give all of your power to the people consuming you, you, you get consumed, right? Mm -hmm. You stop. What's the end result there? You're empty. <laughs> You're completely consumed. So I think for me, the sustainable way has always been, well, what am I interested in? What do I need to learn? Where do I need to grow? And that's what I'm choosing to write about. And I do... I write absolutely every single morning, first thing in the day, but because of the subject matter, because it's very personal and deeply, you know, right now we adopted a little guy last year. He's almost a year now. And that's a deeply, you know, private, deeply personal subject matter for me. And so I'm continually, although I've processed it probably for a full year, I've published very small snippets of that. And that just has to be okay. You know, it just has to be okay mm -hmm. for me. And, and my community has just been incredible about respecting the fact that, you know, no, I'm not going to share photos of my kids' faces up close. You know, no, I'm not going to share their real names. There are certain things that I'm just intensely protective 
over them and their story. And so I just have been blessed with a very understanding, very thoughtful community in that way. I love that. And I would just love to pick your brain while we're on this subject is a lot of times people ask me, how do you decipher or know what you're comfortable sharing and putting out there? And I think it's different for everybody. And as somebody who does, I share quite a bit of the important things in my life, but I am also incredibly private, which a lot of people don't know or understand because they see things at face value. But what kind of advice would you give to somebody who maybe does feel more private about certain parts of their lives or they're not sure how to create a personable brand without sharing everything. I think the last part of your question is so interesting because I have had a few, a handful, I I would say 99% of the people that come to my blog or Instagram or what they kind of, they understand you get a tiny sliver of this Mm -hmm. person. And I think I've always been very upfront about that. And for me, I've never really approached my work as a brand. And perhaps that's the difference is a brand always felt very closed in to me. And I wanted to be able to have the fluidity to make changes and to just be a human and be a real person and to contradict myself and lean into the hypocrisy that I think that everybody has a little bit of. And so to me coming from a marketing background that felt so the idea of a brand just didn't feel sustainable for me. So instead I just thought, cool, this is just going to be me today, how I am Mm -hmm. right now. And so I have had a handful of people say, you know, because you don't share a lot about your kids, I feel like I don't really know you. Like you don't want me to know you or, you know, because you don't, you know, share exactly what town you live in. You don't, you have like a wall up. And I would say, yes, that's true. I do because you can't really know all of me. I can't know all of you. There is a screen between us. If we are to meet in real person, I cannot wait. I'm a hugger. I will welcome you with open arms, but I am such a deeply face-to-face person. And I believe profoundly in personal real life connection. And while I think we can easily be encouraged on these platforms for a variety of reasons, it's not the real deal. So for me, it doesn't really bother me when I hear that, you know, I feel like you don't want me to know your kids or or whatever, because that would be their decision, you know? So what I always do when I'm choosing what do I want to write about and what I don't want to write about is I personally am, you know, even though I feel like I value offline time very much, I'm pretty much an open book. You know, if you were to come into my kitchen, you will get complete honesty, authenticity, transparency, vulnerability. But I think there is a difference between transparency and vulnerability and certainly transparency and honesty in that you will get the portions of me completely, but you don't get complete portions of me, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So for me, the balance is, I heard a pastor say this once that when he was trying to decipher what he wanted to, which stories he wanted to share from the pulpit, he would always think, who's the punchline here? Like if it was him personally done, that's a story he doesn't mind sharing. But if it kind of borders into his wife is the punchline or his kids is the punchline or his coworker is the punchline, it's a no-go. And I've always been firmly in that same camp where, you know, I could wax on for hours about my failures. I mean, clearly if you have read Chasing Slow, I am not shy about the fact that I am constantly trying to relearn the same things over and over and over again. 
But when I'm talking about somebody else, I need to be quite clear and quite certain that it's completely inoffensive to them. Like that's not something that I'm willing to, that's not a line I'm willing to toe. I love that. I think too, it's really funny because a lot of times I believe that on social media, especially we love to fill in the blanks for people. So if people aren't telling the full story, we create one in our heads, either subconsciously or consciously. And a lot of people think that I put everything online, but it's really funny because I'm actually super protective of my family. So I ask anyone's permission before sharing anything. My sister, she loves in Instagram and loves to be on Instagram. So she's somebody that I could post just about anything about. But my mom, on the other hand, likes to stay private. And I think, you know, a lot of times having a vulnerable brand like you talked about or an honest brand or just being an honest person, you know, I will look at stories and say, how do I feel about them right now? And how can I just share them in a way that explains and emits the emotion behind what's going on without telling the full story? People don't need to hear the full story. And I'm like you, if you sat me down with a margarita, I'd probably tell you anything you asked me about. But I think that there is something really precious that we've kind of lost with social media these days. Exactly. And I love how you worded that. Like, I think, I think for me, there is a way to talk about mothering without talking about mothering my specific children. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're getting at. There's a way to tell this story and have it be your story alone instead of, you know, I think it's as long as we're working from our perspective and we're not trying to get the bird's eye view and of processing, then I think it's, it's entirely different. And, and yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the, the internet, it's tricky, it's tricky and it's not as much as we think we can control it. We cannot. So I think it's really important to be diligent in the information that we do choose to share. Absolutely. So let's talk about Chasing Slow and just kind of what inspired you to write it? What sort of things were you going through in your life? Fill our listeners in in kind of that process and the overall idea and backing behind it. Well, it's so funny because the publisher, the book that the publisher had asked for was not the book that the publisher (laughs) received. And I feel like that happens all the time. But I was asked to write kind of a, a slow living manifesto sort of book, you know, Erin, we want you to explore slow living and what that means for your life. And the more I tried to do that, the more I tried to pin it down, the the harder it was to do. I I just felt incredibly hypocritical, right? Because Mm -hmm. I'm writing this book about living slow while living very fast at a (laughs) six-month deadline. And so what happened was the book became intensely better because I started really grabbing onto those contradictions that you hit in every life. Like, yes service is important and, you know, rest is important and wellness is important. And I think what happens is we cling to these rules and these manifestos and we think that they're going to shape our life, but they end up shaping us in this weird way and they end up pinning us down. And then suddenly we're floundering, right? And we can't make heads or tails of our life because it doesn't look like what we thought it was supposed to. So what I found was once I began pursuing a slower life, I was chasing it just as fast as when I was pursuing a fast life where I was Mm -hmm. successful and at the top and perfect, you know, and I took that same mentality and that same energy and poured it into living slow. So it was all about the curation of it, right? I was like, okay, well, you know, a slow living person certainly doesn't keep, 
you know, 2,500 ketchup packets in their <laughs> junk drawer. What am I doing? Like, this is junk. Why am I holding on to this? And I would beat myself up over for weird things because it didn't fit, you know, I would call it a brand, right? It didn't fit the brand. And I, and then I would feel inauthentic and untrue. So, so for me to really embrace slow living, I had to embrace the gray of it all. And the fact that, yes, I think there's a lot that we can control about our lives. And then part of that is surrendering to the parts that we cannot control. So, you know, you can be very diligent and self-controlled about, you know, the things in your house and the thing, the food you put in your body and your reactions to people. But then sometimes circumstance comes, you know, you have an aging parent or a sick friend and, you know, a child with special needs and things will come up and suddenly you're off kilter because you're trying to control all the circumstances that you can, that the game has changed, right? It is no longer what it was yesterday. So for me, slow living really had to, the slow living manifesto that I learned to embrace was releasing the metric altogether and resisting the temptation to constantly measure my life. Am I living too fast? Am I living too slow? Am I resting enough? Am I doing this right? Do I have a Chemex in my kitchen? And throwing all of it out and just saying, you know, we get today and basically that's it, right? We are given today. We are given this moment. It's not a guarantee. And so even curating our life sometimes feels incredibly silly given that, yeah, it, it's, I feel like my husband's health condition helped quite a bit in shaping that perspective that this is a, we don't have time to waste, I guess, caring about the pace in which we're living. And I think we do our best and we will always be idiots. And at the end of the day, we have to be <laughs> less of an idiot tomorrow, you know? Absolutely. Well, and I even think too, you know, like you said, like you had to be in full pursuit of slow. And I think a lot of times we're just waiting for slow to happen. And I am the queen of being like, once this is done, everything will slow down. But that's not how life works. And so when we took a month off earlier this year, I had to pursue that with as much grace and gumption as I go after my biggest projects or my biggest work things. Because if I wasn't in pursuit of that, it just wasn't going to happen. That is the truth. And so I found myself in a very similar season as well. It's really funny because I think a lot of time, and I definitely work in this way where I put kind of a maxim on it and this, I put like a big boundary, like I will X out my <laughs> calendar for the month. And I'm like, this is the month I'm doing this. But then what happens is you start to feel really intensely selfish and say a friend needs you a lot during your slow living month, are you going to, you know, slip back in and kind of bend over backwards and work around the clock for her? Or are you going to say, no, absolutely not. This is slow living month or whatever, you know? And so mm -hmm. I feel like it's that, that's the tension there is sometimes slow living feels intensely selfish. And I think when we, when we're trying so hard to make it look like something that we think it's supposed to look like, then it's, I think that's where we, we get tripped up. I feel as if I live a very slow, peaceful life, but I think for me, it's, it's simply because I've learned the areas that make my soul feel slow and I've learned the areas that don't. So, you know, one of the examples I give fairly often is when I have people over for dinner, it is almost always 
takeout pizza, hands down. And I'm not even talking like local, cute, like with like <laughs> Give me the pizza and, hut. <laughs> like exactly. I'm not talking figs and prosciutto. I'm talking about like the greasy pepperoni from like gas stations. And so the reason I do that is because when people come over, if I'm cooking or like reading recipes or sauteing my like organic free range chicken, I can't <laughs> focus on the conversation, right? Because I'm so like, I'm so worried about the dinner and the food. And that to me, I mean, certainly I don't think any slow living expert would argue that greasy gas station pizza is, is helping the slow movement at all in any way, but it offers me connection and it offers hospitality and it offers warmth and it's somewhat nourishing, but not at all. But so, so that to me is still living within my values. And I think slow living has a lot to do with that. It's redefining the values that are really intensely important to you and letting the rest of them go. So I have a good question for you because I am a really, I have a really hard time slowing down. And I, for so many years, I just made excuses for myself. Like I just function at a higher level. And I, I believed these lies that I, I wasn't capable of slowing down. But how do you toe the line of having beautiful curated content mixed with like what is real and heartfelt and like true life and like how do you do that as somebody who's such an editorial goddess in my opinion like what does that look like for you oh my gosh you're so nice that's so funny well for me I tend to I've always gravitated toward you know a pretty picture so I'm, I'm not shy about I mean my photos are fairly styled like that's no secret yep my words aren't my words actually aren't very I wouldn't say I'm styling my words. I'm saying the words are the story, the subject matter, the content is edited. I think for posterity's sake to make sure that the story I'm telling is the one that I stand behind. But I think there's a way to juxtapose a really pretty picture with very true words. And I think beauty of a photo can be intensely true as well. A lot of times, you know, if I'm taking a picture of my kids, I won't style that. I don't like to stage, like I, I don't t- really like to stage moments necessarily or manufacture them. But if it's, you know, a tablescape, that is my background. I mean, as a stylist, that's my background. So I think, I think it's just my tendency to move a little here and a little there and make it look really pretty because I love a pretty picture. So that's not really something that I struggle with. I never feel inauthentic in sharing the beautiful things. I think because I'm always honest about the fact that this is a small sliver here that you're getting. Um, And then I'm also not shy about sharing the greasy pizza. There was like a frozen pizza shot in my book because that was the (laughs) true, you know, I'm in my bed with like moccasins eating frozen pizza, which it was precisely hundred percent my life then. (laughs) So I think, you know, I think it's just a matter of deciding what bothers you and what doesn't bother you and sticking with that. Does that even answer your question? Yeah. Well, it's so funny because I think a lot of times I will feel like I resonate with what you said so much because I'm a photographer and I'm visual. And I believe that if anyone were to take any photos from my feed, I would want it to be exemplary of the work that somebody could expect from me in the sense of the art side of things. But on the other side of the spectrum, I am real and I try to be authentic and I try to be transparent in that sense. And so I am that person who I have no shame in posting 
posting a really pretty picture to capture somebody's attention so that they can read the caption. And I think that sometimes people can look at these beautifully curated feeds and say, well, that's not authentic. But I think that if it's true to what you're being called to, and if it's, you know, if it feels right to share, it makes you feel alive or whatever that looks like for you. You know, for me as a photographer, it's always been that struggle because I think a lot of times we go on to social media for a break from the clutter and the busyness and the chaos of life. And sometimes seeing those visually appealing things is what it takes to pull us out of that mess that we're sitting in. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I also think, you know, it, if you remember when you were 10 and like your mom's made you go to like Sears for the family portrait session, <laughs> yes. right? You weren't like in your junkie clothes. Like she like curled your hair that day. We were so, matching denim. <laughs> amen, sister. Yeah. So I always, you know, if I have to be in front of the camera, which I intensely hate, but I will for sure put on makeup to be in front of the camera. I think the difference is, you know, if, if I then find myself not able to leave the house without a full face of makeup, that's no longer authentic to me. You know, that that's then shaping myself into somebody that I'm actually not. But if there's a camera in my face, I want to put on makeup first. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, just for comfort's sake. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I, I think that's just, I think that's totally normal and okay. I think that's perfectly okay. Good. I feel like I'm in like a therapy session with you and it's really, really wonderful. You totally do one of those. Oh my gosh. I know. So um, before we head out, I want to just kind of talk about where you are today. What does your season look like today? What are you pursuing? What are you excited about? What are you finding rest in? Kind of where is Erin today? Oh, that's a great question. I am so off. I'm really offline a lot right now. And I think, so I had mentioned before that my husband and I kind of work seasonally. This is a really, it's not a busy season for him. He just, he's working on a lot of projects that he's always wanted to work on. And so I feel like it's my turn to kind of step up and, you know, man the home front. So I had a busy winter with the book launch and he really took over and, and we've been kind of juggling schedules quite a bit. So this is kind of my season. You know, it's summertime. I'm with the kids. I will say I have a really odd routine where I wake up at 2 a.m. It's not like it's not martyrdom. I, I love the 2 a.m. hour. So I go to bed really early to do this, but I wake up at 2 because it's the only quiet time I get in the day and I just do some writing and publish none of it. And I think and I read and reflect. And then my kids wake up at six and my phone's in the drawer and it's done. So it's been really beautiful. I think I hit a wall where, and I don't know if this is typical of people after launching big projects where I just, I just no longer wanted to be online or be seen or be, I felt too visible and too available. And so I really needed to kind of dig my toes back in the sand and be rooted in my everyday life. So I'm giving myself that right now. So a perfect example, again, of like, I think there are so many ways to make your work work for you and not the other way around. And so when I found myself really feeling bogged down by Instagram and by the standards of, you know, Instagram stories is massive. And you know, the rule is everybody is watching your Instagram stories. So if you want to be seen, you have to go, you know, like mm -hmm. the pressure is real. <laughs> so you're behind the scenes and everybody wants to know what your life is really like. And 
that's not an area I was willing to, I, I didn't want to ever be a broadcaster of my life. I want to just get to live it. And so that's an area where I really just had to firmly plant myself in the know that is not the right, this isn't the right time for me right now. I would love to show you my everyday life. I just don't really want to keep my phone on me at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just don't want to have my phone with me. And so, yeah, so I think I had to really redefine what Instagram looked like for me. So I post almost not really daily anymore. I used to post the good list every day, which is just a hashtag. And it's basically the my gratitude list at the end of the day, although I publish it now. So it's just a quick photo and obviously edited filters. And then, and then I just post, you know, a couple of things I'm grateful for and I'm done. And I found that that's the best way to maintain Instagram for me right now so that I'm not, you know, taking up valuable time thinking of captions or, you know, it's not distracting me throughout the day. It's more just all right, before I go to bed, I'm going to share my gratitude list and pop up photo. And then it's done and it, it's, it goes away. I'm not really scrolling through it anymore. So that's a bit of a tangent just to say that I found a good balance there in this season right now. That's exciting. There is this app out there. It's kind of crazy, but it's called Moment and it tracks how much time you're on your phone. And it is crazy. If It's a free app. And it is insane how much time people are spending on their phones without even acknowledging it. And for me, it was like this giant reality check of like, am I just opening my phone because I'm bored or because I feel alone or whatever. And so I love that you just put it in the drawer and call it a day. I think that's so inspiring. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it, if you think about it, it's just a, it's an inherent reaction. And I even go as far as to the phone's in the drawer and now where my phone used to be. Although now it's also my, I have my Spotify out sometimes. So sometimes it's plugged in on the kitchen counter, but when it's in the drawer and then I'll put like my open Bible in place of my phone so that now it's like, it is, and it's funny how often I'm looking at that spot in the kitchen counter where my phone used to be because my brain is just trained to do it. And then it just reminds me, okay, well, this is going to be more restful and more nourishing than, you know, a quick scroll on my phone. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. I don't need to see my inbox right now. There's really nothing I could do. <laughs> I love it. I always yeah. go back to the thought of like, nobody needs you in this very moment. Like, you know, exactly. like this, the amount of urgency is so minor, but yet we place so much urgency on things that we trick ourselves into believing, you know, and it's like you pick up your phone and you refresh every single app, almost wanting to feel purpose or productivity when mm -hmm. you could actually be far more productive in your actual life. It's crazy. Yes. I always tell myself, my mother-in-law is so good about this. When she calls, she always asks, is this a good time? Mm -hmm. And because she knows, you know, there's probably a kid crying in the background or bath time or whatever. And so I've found myself asking that same question when I am getting out my phone. Like, is this a good time? You know, mm -hmm. are my kids around? No, this is not a good time. Or is there somebody else in the room? This is not a good time. Or am I even not in the brain space to where, you know, if I were to open my inbox and receive discouraging news or a negative comment, maybe I'm not in the best frame of mind to even receive that well and receive that with grace and humility. So I've gotten myself in the habit of asking myself that question before I do check my phone. I love it. Oh my goodness. So where can everybody find you, learn more about you, follow you, all the things that we just talked about that we're not doing anymore, but where can everyone find you? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I blog at designformankind.com fairly weekly. And then 
I'm on Instagram almost daily at Erin Lochner and then also Twitter at Erin Lochner. And my book is available. It's Chasing Slow, available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, anywhere books are sold. You can basically grab it. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and just for gifting us with your presence. It is honestly such an honor. Oh, thank you for having me. You are awesome. Thanks for listening to Gold Digger. Dive into show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You gold digging dream chaser, you.